Bonjour, mon ami. Bonjour. Bonjour. Um, Qu'est-ce qui se passe aujourd'hui à uh, Round 16? Uh, there are some really cool things that se passe. Um, it's, Now, uh, don't tell me that you were actually at the matches today, because if you are, I may have to defer most of this podcast to you. Uh, so, uh, I actually am lucky enough. I uh, live three miles away from uh, the Roland Garros facility. My my good friend Zach Cortler was in town, and we uh, we went to the matches on Langland. So it was a, a really awesome experience. I know you've been to the French Open. What what stood out to you when you were there compared to like other majors? You know, my first question before, before I answer yours is, you know, were you? Able, I know that there's a dress code. Were you, were you able to? To get through okay, did you? I know sometimes people have to buy new clothes. Yeah. You know, so um, the uh, security guards they check your bag and they pat you down just like at the airport, but they also uh, smell you to see <laughs> if you're wearing uh, the correct uh, Dior perfume, not just like uh, a Dior perfume, but like the right vintage and if it smells enough like lavender. So I made sure to, it was printed on the ticket, so I made sure to get it uh, before I, uh, I went to the, the facility. Now, am I, am I wrong in saying that Gasquet is one of those, one of the security guys who, who checks the... Yeah, Gasquet like, sniffed me really, really good, um, but only in certain regions. <laughs> <laughs> That's his forte, you know, this. They say he's quick with his feet, but I know that feet is a metaphor for something else. So yeah, my French Open experience was, was good. I, I did. Uh, I didn't come prepared. I didn't read that part of the ticket, but but fortunately, my luggage actually never made it, so I didn't really have much choice but to buy nice clothing. So I did. I did have the right attire when I went, and what I learned uh, in my first French Open, first and only, is that people don't mind if you're sitting in their seat. They don't mind if you put your feet on their seat as long as you don't get the seat dirty. So <laughs> they, uh, I, I, I remember just sneaking down to about five, six. I was surprised at how lax the security was in the main stadium and how much they let people sit on the stairs. But I was sitting in somebody's seat, and he didn't mind at all. It's just when I left, he seemed to be quite upset that I left uh, a few cracker crumbs. So it, it's, it's interesting how they how they pick their poisons there. Yeah, Zach and I sat in like real like seats. We were in the last row, but it was still it's a great stadium, and it was on the baseline, so they were very good seats. But we were able to move up, and nobody cared until like the people whose seat it was arrived, and like they were just like very politely, which is rare for French people to say anything politely. But I think <laughs> stealing their seats is something they uh, they 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 uh, appreciate, you know. Um, And so we were told very politely to go back to our seats. Um, another thing um, about, I guess, the live experience, uh, I have one story. In the, so in the French have this, this, uh, this cheer that somebody always goes like, bum, 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 bum. And then everybody else in the crowd yells, allez. Yeah. And then, so I actually, so my friend Zach and I, we bet on who would win the set, and I lost, so I tried to do it. I did bump, 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 like really, really loudly. And nobody said Ale. And like everybody looked back at me. And I had clearly done some, I like clearly messed it up somehow. And so the way I played it off was pointing at Zach. I was like, this guy did it. So what's the Ale protocol? Because I found that a little bit 
what should I say? I found that a little bit George Michaelish. It was very was, annoying. It was yeah, yeah. very George Michaelish. I feel like the French don't deep when you really get at the heart of it. They don't really have much else to cheer for. You know, they kind of have to create their own entertainment. It's a little bit like camping, just because their players generally uh, fade out of the tournament pretty quickly. So I think that's like one of their little sports within a sport. And you know, clearly you didn't have it's it's timing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think uh, they could just uh, intuit my American accent as well. Like even though I wasn't saying words, I was doing the bump, 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 bump with an American accent, and it was just scorn. It was, uh, it, it was, it was exactly what they think when I when they watch me walking down the street from their cafes, from their cafe seats pointed towards the street. I think. Do you think also there may be a little bit of a jealousy? I mean, in the sense that the American men tend to dominate the French Open, so it's a little bit of a hostile takeover. <laughs> you know, our guys come there; they don't speak very good French. They don't really partake of the food. They, we, you know, clean everybody's clock. Then we put on their cleats, go to the World Cup, win a bunch of games there too. You think it's just it's basically jealousy, like we've had enough of the Americans, you know, running the show. I think um, that's uh, as far from the truth as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Jack Sock is the number one example of that. Being as far from the truth as it gets, uh, he he had another just dud performance this Grand Slam. Um, yeah, this involves, you know, the French Open involves using the brain. Yeah. Uh, probably more so. We don't seem to be, you know, none of our teams, like if, if, if let's say we went head-to-head in Family Feud or, or HQ or America would be pretty towards the bottom. Our, our players would be pretty towards the bottom in that as well, uh, with the exception of maybe Isner. And he... Uh, he finds a way to think think his way through. So, just today, was there anybody you saw play for the first time, uh, either literally for the first time or at least first time live? And and then what was your reaction? So uh, I saw Sverev and uh, Gauthier for the first time live. Uh, so my reaction to Sverev was, uh, I think you, it doesn't come across on TV just how talented this guy is. Like. Uh, Against Kachanov, who's, like, also a very talented young player, Sverev was, like, a level of magnitude, like, smoother than Kachanov. Like, uh, my friend Zach and I were talking about how easy, like, things look for Sverev. He's, like, always in rhythm. Uh, He has two uh, weaknesses, which is he's slow moving forward and his second serve isn't very good. But his lateral quickness is remarkable for a guy who's six foot six. His serve is incredible. He can place the ball wherever he wants. Um, the only thing, he was, like, misfiring on a lot of his shots, even though they looked good. Like, he hit a lot of unforced errors. And I used to, before seeing him live, I used to think, like, his head was his biggest strength. But I, after seeing him live, I think his head is the only thing that can mess him up because he's just remarkably talented. Um and then the other person I saw live today was Goffin, and a few things like uh, popped out. The first was I think he was injured, like his shoulder was bothering him because he hit a lot of forehand errors and his serve like didn't have like any juice on it. And those are like the two primary signs of an arm injury. Um, but uh, uh, starting small, uh, one thing that. Uh, impressed me about Gauffin was his hair. He has remarkable hair. 
and I don't think you fully appreciate it on TV. <laughs> uh, another thing that uh, impressed me was his just his backhand down the line is like insanely good. Um, and he's just fun to watch. Like he, Zach was saying, Goffin is his new second favorite player to watch behind Federer, just because he's so light, um, and everything is just so so easy and smooth. Um, he might. He's just like uh, he's he's sort of a Federer who's like not quite as physically gifted. So he's not as big and not as much power on his shots. But he's would you, uh, say, that, would you say that he's Federer and Gasquet's love child? <laughs> Except he has a two-handed backhand. Oh, he does have two-handed. Okay. Yeah, he's. Uh, I thought he was I thought he needed the other hand for something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah Federer and Gasquet's love child might be. Uh, I don't think we've seen him yet, but uh, yeah, he's probably in the juniors somewhere. Um, yeah, so those were the things that stood out. Gasquet. Er, Goffin, I was sort of like um, not really looking forward to seeing him play. I thought it would just be boring, but it ended up being he ended up being like fun to watch live. Yeah, I was trying to read a tweet by Bonfils the other day, and I'm usually pretty solid with with my friends. It's just I, I chose not to read the whole thing. I'm assuming they had a pretty good match the other day, or was Bonfils just 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 uh, blowing kisses at him? No, Monfils and Goffin had a battle. Monfils had match point. And, oh, uh, and then, uh, he, but he was so tired or at least pretending to be tired that he just, he, he sort of just played stupid. Like he, he went for drop shots too early on like critical points and stuff and Goffin ended up pulling it out. So they probably, probably tired him out a little bit for today. Yeah. He, he wasn't his full self. Um, yeah. Um, and so what, what stood out to you about this tournament? What, what, is there anything in particular? So I'm getting all my information here, say. I really just follow the chat. and It's not from lack of interest, just lack of, lack of time during that part of the day. I mean, I guess when you compare tournaments to the U.S. Open, it tends to be a little, even though it's, it's great to be able to like wake up at 5 or 6 and start getting some scores, uh, trickle in. But I, I would say a couple things. You know, the top half of the draw... From what you described, it, it seemed to be a very sort of one-sided in, in favor of Rafa draw. And then as the draw has played out, you realize there's there's some good players in that top half and players who have done a good job of, of holding serve uh, metaphorically. Uh, but, you know, Del Potro, who I didn't, didn't think after all that energy he expended on the hard courts this year, I didn't think he'd have much left for Clay. So I'm, I'm impressed that he's in that draw. Anderson, who I've not seen play at all since the U.S. Open. I didn't even realize he was seated that high, but it, you know, he seems to be backing that up. And then Isner, uh, just the fact that he, he's, you know, you have this sort of like group of really resilient players who managed to stay relevant just when you think they're going to... Nisha on that a little bit now. Uh, Del Potro, probably the best example, but, but Isner as well always finds a way to sort of claw, claw his way back. And I think that match tomorrow may not be like your typical clay court match, but I think it'll be a great match. Yeah. And then I, I, I am impressed with Zverev because even when I would talk to insiders and again, it's uh, his fitness where he's vote, you know, he needs to put somebody away in four sets. Otherwise, 
Uh, he's really at a disadvantage, and he's disproving that on the surface. That should play into, you know, for lack of stamina. That that should adversely affect somebody who doesn't have great long match stamina the most. So I, I would say those would be obviously Joker's. I think the way that he dug back in the third set the other day when he may have been down five three and had lost a lot of momentum. So I think he's been he's exceeded expectations. But the first four or five, I would say, I would have thought they all would have lost in the third round. Yeah, um, yeah, Joker. I think he he he's playing Cecchinato or Cecchinato, um, the the young Italian in the uh, quarterfinals. Like he is a heavy favorite to reach. Um, the semifinals of Roland Garros, and it doesn't seem like that long ago when we were sort of making a eulogy for him. Like, will he ever return? Like, and then, like, uh, all of a sudden he's going to be in the semifinals of a major. Like, uh, it. one thing I, it sort of shows to me is that great players, uh, they don't just lose it. Like, uh... Like, they always come back, at least if they're young enough. Or do you think that just that, that it, that's more... That there's something about the Grand Slam where they're marked more in their favor than they've been down in... They, they know how to play the big points better because these stars... I mean, I don't, Murray will be a good example. I don't know when he's coming back. But like stick him in a in a Masters one thousand maybe, he, he, you know losing the first or second round. But there's something about the Grand Slams where maybe they really get their mojo back even more. Yeah, um, yeah. I just think best of five favors the better player just because there are yeah. more games, so it's luck is less of a factor. Um, one thing I will say is I still don't think Djokovic is a uh, will like. He can win it, obviously, but I don't think he's like as uh, it's as likely as it used to be that he will win this tournament. Like I think he's sort of a long shot because I still think his fitness isn't yet there. So like uh, against Rafa or team in a very tough match, like if it goes four or five, um, he just will not be able to hang. Um, I said this on the last podcast with Peter. I think Djokovic is sort of. Uh, he can make the semis or the finals, but not win it in Roland Garros. But he will be like an actual uh, contender to start winning majors again. Maybe as soon as Wimbledon, but definitely by the time the U.S. Open rolls around. And when, when do you think the next wave of players, or do you think you're seeing it right now, the the Zverev generation? You know, give or, give or take a couple of years. Do you think it's inevitable that they're gonna? They're gonna take over the. They're gonna take over the throne, or do you think it's a it's a question of in each tournament and in, a young star or two will step up, but as but as a as a collective group, they're still not ready to place you know the big four. I actually think it might be like two or three years away. Like Sverev is definitely gonna get his at some point. He's just so good, but like if. Murray comes back healthy and Joker comes back to form and Rafa is keeps doing what he's doing. It's just like these guys are so like far ahead of everybody else that they're just not going to be caught until they actually slow down physically. Hold on, I'm just gonna. Uh, I got. 
Andrew, you want us? Can you say hi? Can you say hi, te- hi, Philip? No, I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> That's Mark's kid. Uh, his Mark name is, Mark is Ace. will be back in two minutes. Can I give you a chocolate for two minutes? Yeah, talking about the next generation. <laughs> but you know, in, in previous generations, that was the time. You know, the, at age twenty-one to twenty-five, they really started taking over the game. Obviously. The big four or five from this generation. I'll find you a chocolate. Yeah, but also in previous generations, the like the older generation did not last into their mid thirties. Like old in tennis used to be twenty nine and thirty. So like like young in tennis was like younger. Do you think that those four or five players just pushed each other so much that it also aside from the improvements in stamina and diet and everything else and maybe you know the the age of decline was a little bit arbitrary before do you think they just pushed each other so much that they they respectively raised the level of their game so high that it's just a very even if they're only at 80 or 85 percent it's still uh, a very difficult level to match yeah no I'm, honestly like there was a there was a period of uh like eight years when they were like like making all this, like those four were the only people in the semifinals of Grand Slams, and like the only ones winning Masters one thousands. So it's like those guys have so many more big match reps than anyone else that it's like it would be sort of imp- it's impossible to discount like how important that is for like them being so far above the rest of the competition. Like, maybe they started out as more talented, but I think those big match reps, like, sort of, uh, like, uh, skyrocketed, skyrocketed them to a point that's, like, really, really hard to, like, attain for somebody else. Do you think that the, I, I mean, maybe if I'm not labeling it right, but do you think, like, the Rafa model of truly mastering one surface and then using your mastery of that as, like, a confidence builder in the other because you get your grand slams in that first? And then you that translates to like, hey, I've got the Grand Slam cred, you know, maybe I have a little bit of pressure off of me. Do you think that that's a model that more players should follow, or do you think that's just something unique to and all that he just happened to be this clay court outlier right from the start? Um, I don't know if there is a yes or no answer to that question. I think you just sort of play to your strengths and hope that they uh, bleed out, sort of. Um, rather than spread yourself too thin. Uh, but I also just think talent wins in the long run. Um, and so if you, uh, if you are good on all three, or if you're, if you're good, like, uh, your, your talent will show on, um, in a diff, in a lot of different ways and on a lot of different surfaces. So. Yeah, I don't know if there's a yes or no answer to, to the question you asked. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I think I was thinking of a player maybe like Team, who, who I guess Clay seems to be the best of his three surfaces. Although, and I would have said for Zvera, that Grass was the best of his three, but he's played so well. In the, Adrian, that's chocolate, so you may like it. But I, I guess wait and see. I think they need to grab that first. I mean, as you saw with these big four and, Djokovic in particular, even though he won the first major, there was like a big gap. But once he won his second Grand Slam, you know, then his career really took off. And I feel like with Nadal, when he won, I'm assuming he won Wimbledon before he won the Aussie. And Yeah, the Aussie was his last Grand Slam. 
Um, but when he was able to parlay his French dominance to that Wimbledon title, I think his career catapulted even more. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so let's so let's, let's talk about the tournament. Um, who? Uh, let's get your picks for the ne- for the upcoming matches. Um, uh, so you think? Uh, who do you think Nadal will play in the quarters between uh, Schwartzman and Anderson? Did they play at the U.S. Open? Have they played before? I feel like they've had a... You um, know, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to you because I really have never seen Schwartzman play, but you seem to be bullish on him, and he, he did well last year, too. So I guess I'll take Schwartzman in that. I'll take him in, in four or five. Yeah, Schwartzman is very good. He's play, he, He's really come into his own this season. Um, I, I think he's a better clay court player than Anderson. He's actually one of the two people that uh, I think might be able to take down Rafa, um, him and team. Uh, take him down or just make him sweat? I think, like, on a good day, Schwartzman could beat Rafa. Um, if if Schwartzman's playing well and Rafa's playing poorly, just because uh, I was talking with Zach about this earlier, uh, Schwartzman has, like, a very, very high pain threshold, or so it seems, and he's willing to keep digging. Like, he makes your... He, he's sort of the new Ferrer. Uh, not quite as good as Ferrer yet, but, like, uh, getting there. Where he, he's just willing to do whatever it takes. And he's also very talented. So, like, uh, he's just not going to fold. And, like, if, if a player's having an off day, he can he can snipe them. No, hold on. We hit a... I must have hit a double fault here. <laughs> you don't want that. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Isner and the and the and tell me what the other match is tomorrow. I'm gonna take Isner and his who does Cilic so play tomorrow? Is, Isner plays Del Potro and Cilic plays Fognini. So I'll take Fognini and I'll take two upsets. I'll, I'll go with the underdog in both. Okay, I'm gonna go with the the favorite in both. Uh, okay. So Cilic versus Del Potro. I'm cheering for the favorites, but I'll, I'll take that upset. And I think, and then in the in the in the bottom half, I'll take. I think I predicted team to win, so I got. I'll stick with my predictions. I'll stick with my original predictions, which were team and Joker. Okay. And then, and then team team Nadal from there, and then a, a great finals. So who does Nadal play in the semis between uh, Isner and Fognini? Yeah, based on my draw, I'm just going with Isner. I feel like he's in this weird role, and then he'll get blown out in the semis, and yeah. he won't care, and he'll be so happy to be able to tell his grandkids that he made the semis of the French when he. Uh, Never played on clay courts before. He was like twenty-two, but uh, that it's a weird, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go out on a limb there. Okay, I I'm, feel like he's he's trying to maximize this window of opportunity. But Del Del Potro is really hard to count out, and he's one of the best. Not that he's an underdog tomorrow, but he's one of the one of the really great players when he's not favored as well. So I, I yeah, that's a tough call. I'm just gonna. I feel like Isner's a little bit more of a role. Maybe he has a little bit more uh, gas in the tank. Which, that's a match I actually would look forward to watching. Yeah. Although I just hate watching Isner play, so I wouldn't actually okay. watch it. I, I'm looking more forward to seeing the results than actually watching that match. Yeah, um, Peter and I just got a little bit more of appreciation, even though I think we only saw like five points yeah. when he was here in Miami, but it was kind of a kind of a uh, an iteration of his game that we liked. So obviously yeah. we left we left out women's tennis, which is really what draws us to the sport in the first place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Serena plays Sharapova tomorrow. That's actually a huge match. 
Well, at least they're both, they, they neutralize each other in terms of the performance enhancing drugs that both of them take. So. <laughs> and also, uh, the, uh, uh, their mutual experience with Grigor Dimitrov. <laughs> <laughs> it's a grudge, a grudge man. Well, yeah. you know, if we put this as like a, I mean, that's a, that's another podcast where we put everything on the graph, you know, and see who is maximized on and off their on and off court performances and see who, you know, who's, who ranks pretty high in the X and the Y. <laughs> uh, that, that, that would be a, a good topic for the next one. I, I think, I think Dimitrov uh, really excels in the off court. Him and Verdasco. <laughs> yeah, Verdasco for sure. <laughs> I wonder if it's a trade off. I wonder if, if, Actually, no, I would think it goes hand-in-hand, hand, probably. Yeah, I think it's a different skill set. But, 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 one, but one definitely helps the other. Yeah, you probably generally end up in clubs and bars when you lose a, a frustrating match, so you don't want to go too far in the tournament because then you really <laughs> have to focus on, on self rather than other. But you also don't want to go to the club and the bar too early in the tournament because you might lose in... <laughs> too early around to really get your uh, name out there get those dms on instagram for sure also so what, what would you say now that you've done if you've, you've gone to three majors uh, is, there, is there one that you enjoy most as just uh being on the grounds and then one where as a tennis fan you know you feel like uh you know i've i've, I've struck it rich in terms of tennis viewing Honestly, Wimbledon, uh, there is no compare, no comparing. Like it is the king of the majors. Like I even think the the players feel this way that like there are four majors, um, but Wimbledon is the most prestigious. I think the U.S. and the French are equally prestigious. Maybe the French is slightly higher, but no, no, I think they're equals. And then the Aussie is sort of the fourth major. I've never been to the Aussie, so I can't really say. Um, but yeah, Wimbledon was just. Uh, Incredible. Oh, one thing I think uh, you can really tell the personality of a major by how the ball boys behaved. Uh, whereas, like in the French Open, the ball boys uh, they're very well trained, but they there's sort of uh, uh, so, like one thing that stands out is they sort of roll the balls to each other, and it's not just like uh, an efficient roll. They sort of have like one pump fake before rolling and they're trained to do it that way which sort of shows to me um that like uh the french uh really care as much um about the aesthetics of the viewership as they do about like uh efficiency whereas wimbledon is just like very no nonsense the the ball boys are like standing up very straight with perfect posture as if their like knuckles will be hit by a ruler if they like slouch a little bit uh they sort of hold the ball up with a straight arm um and the u.s they're very loose they're they're sort of just like tossing balls to each other um yeah that's sort of that, that is like something that you actually have to be on the grounds to really notice um what, what about you you've been to three of the four what do you think let me just let me just paraphrase what you said. So you think that Wimbledon's a little bit like uh, Junior ROTC, or it's ROTC, and then the French Open is like your your drama class. It's a well choreographed, uh, <laughs> you know, stylized, and then and then the U.S. Open is just your regular PE class. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out there. So, so, so the French Open is like a ballet, like a very well choreographed ballet where every move is intentional, but it's like intentional to like uh, to bring out the most artistic value. Whereas the U.S. is more of an improv comedy class <laughs> where everyone's loose and having a good time. Uh, and then, uh, Wimbledon, yeah, it is like, uh, yeah, ROTC, uh, I wouldn't say ROTC because it has its style of its own, it's not, it's like, but it's very, like, uh, traditional. It's sort of like, um, a black tie affair, like a black tie wedding, maybe. Well, also because of the timing of the U.S. Open, that's like Dress Down Fridays. Yeah. I mean, all the players are already tired from all the other majors. I think the fans are tired. So that's kind of like, just kind of let your hair down. You know, if people want to... Yeah, the U.S. Open is, is or, organized chaos. But it, as far as as far as convenience... Yeah, the U.S. Open, it, it's, it's a... Com- There's so much going on there. Like, if I'm just, as a tennis, tennis fan, I think that it's Wimbledon. If I want this sort of combination of culture and tennis... It's the French Open, and I really, I love clay. I mean, my bias is a little bit towards clay court because I do like clay court tennis the most. I like the amount of, you know, I think players really have to use their full repertoire on the clay. Uh, and then the U.S. Open is just fun. It's, it's, it's more entertainment, you know, kind of like a double feature movie. Yeah, like Under but the Lights at the Open is like probably the most exciting tennis yeah, man, they they play all night. So I, I'm I'm glad I've seen them all. You know, if somebody said you can only go to one for the rest of your life, and and I could, I knew I was getting decent seats. Well, actually, all the seats at Wimbledon are good. Yeah, Wimbledon second to none. I think even just growing up watching it, that always felt like the most prestigious tournament to win. Yeah, the grass yeah, the is French just Open. like majestic. I wish there were more grass yeah. court events, but I think the fact that there just aren't so many makes it sort of a rare gem. Whereas, like, you can sort of go to a Masters 1000 on clay or on hard court. Yeah, but I think the fact that grass is so rare sort of ups Wimbledon's prestige. Yeah, I just think it's a little bit unfair, you know, just from a tennis fan standpoint, like, the grass courts, it's it's like when you're an English major and then all of a sudden you have to take this... uh, physics class i mean i feel like there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance because they just switch to grass so quickly so even those warm-up tournaments it's hard to get excited because you're just kind of catching your breath from the french so really in terms of from a fan standpoint i think yeah maybe you get to watch a little bit of queen's club but you really only get to watch two grass tournaments a year that that you find of interest so i have a hot i have a hot take uh an idea um I think it's kind of bullshit that uh, there are two hardcourt Grand Slams and then one of clay and one of uh, grass because, like, it's just saying hardcourt is the most important surface and there shouldn't be a most important. So I think one thing that would spice up the Aussie Open is if they, uh, every three years, rotated between clay, hardcourt, and grass so that there would be an equal number of majors on each surface. Have you run there by the players? Uh, no. I also <laughs> think there would have to be more, like, grass, like, their, the tune-up events would also sort of have to change their surfacing, uh, because, like, it would suck if all the tune-up events were on hard court and then the tournament itself were on, like, clay. 
Um, but uh, yeah, if you went, went back forty years. But I mean, it's summer in Australia in January. They can have grass. Like they do have quite a few grass well, courts in Australia. Grass. It used to be grass courts as of thirty years ago. Yeah, and the U.S. Open used to be on clay like thirty, thirty-five years ago. So there actually were no hard. I mean. It's an interesting concept. I, there should also be like three facilities too. So the grass maybe in Sydney, the hard court in Melbourne, and then the uh, the clay would be in the middle of the Amazon, right on top of Ayers Rock. No, not on not the Amazon. What's the desert in uh, in uh, in uh, Australia? Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. I, I really I should know. Desert this. Australia. I'm 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 googling this. It's a good idea. Well, let's assume that's probably not going to change. I do think it's a good idea at least to switch it back and forth. I mean, not not to leave out play because I actually think it's the most enjoyable service to play on and watch. But I think I think they could conceivably switch it back and forth between grass and and uh, hardcore. I, I I don't think it would ever shift that frequently. Although it's a good idea, or you just have a fifth major at some point. I mean, I I, I don't know. I don't think there should be a fifth major just because, like, history, there's only been four, yeah. and that would ruin, like, stats, like, comparing generations. Um, true, true, true. I mean, you could have an indoor, I guess. Well, who knows how it works. It, it's interesting. I, I wonder if the players, how the players self-evaluate. You know, do they evaluate themselves at the end of their career just in Grand Slams 1? Do you think that they, even the top players say, you know, they, on the number of tournaments won or the number of tournaments they won that they didn't think that they would win. Yeah, I think yeah, one I metric, another on metric is a uh, number of Bollywood actresses they successfully hid from their wives. Yeah, but how public is that data? I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure certain camps know about it. Yeah, but I'm, I'm assuming that, <laughs> you know, um, I'm sure that people like to follow the leader, so there are probably others who've gotten away with it. They just they put they played their cards a little bit better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, you probably should get an extra grand slam. I think for I think each one should get one extra grand. I mean, Rafa can get it for Shakira. Fed, I don't, I don't know. He can just get it for saving the world, and and we'll figure for, it for out. For being such good players. friends with Bill Gates, that that, yeah. that helps. Yeah. So I'm going to probably have to sign off. I hope we can do this uh, again in the middle of the week. Are you expecting, do you think that, do you think that the tennis will hold true to form? Or do you think that, uh, like, like it's been for the last year and a half that we should always expect the unexpected? Um, so I called out Goffin in the finals and he, that's obviously not going to happen. I think it'll hold true to form on Rafa's half. Um, and then uh, I really think it's a, a free for all on the on the other half. I don't think Sechinato is going to make the final, but I think it could be uh, Team Sverev and uh, and Joker all have an equal chance of making the finals. But I think I'm going to take Team, so I think it will hold like sort of true to form. Well, that's my prediction. I hope so. And let's uh, and and discuss. I guess tomorrow's the second part of the round of sixteen. So let's, yeah, let's let's talk again after after Tuesday's matches. Sure. Since Tuesday's matches should be uh, somebody, if you can grab a ticket for Tuesday's matches, you you should make it happen. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. I'll uh, I'll check online. I got quite a bit of sun today, um, and uh, so if I if I go again on Tuesday, I'll be. Uh, 
a full a full uh, shade of tan darker. I'll I'll be I'll be closer to looking like Rafael Nadal's uh, long lost twin. I'm definitely bald enough. Arabs <laughs> So uh, I'm Al Amardi, and that was that was an excellent rally we had today, and I, I'll hopefully our predictions will all trip. Yeah, and thanks to all the listeners out there. We ha- we have a lot of fun doing this, um, and I hope you have fun listening to us. Yeah, please. I know we have a ton of fans in Paris, so please thank them all for us. And, <laughs> and hopefully Zach, Peter and Zach will be with us on, on Tuesday. Cool. All right, I'll see you, Mark. I'll see you later. Thanks. Bye-bye.